All right, well, it's, I'm grateful to be able to stand before you tonight and preach the Word of God. I want to invite you to Psalm chapter 96, the 96th chapter of Psalms. If you could stand with me, if you're able to, we're just going to get right going tonight. Psalm chapter 96. I hope you've had a blessed day. I understand that people are coming from all different areas of life today with all different kinds of things on your heart and mind. And so I would just invite you to let the Lord minister to you tonight and plug right in to the message tonight. The title of the message is The Lifestyle of Worship. The Lifestyle of Worship. Let's look at Psalm 96, verses 1 through 10. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Verse 10, say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth, the world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. I want to ask you this question as we dig in tonight. Does your worship of God have an on-off switch? Does your worship of the Lord have an on-off switch? Switch. I want you to think about that tonight. You can be seated, and I'll pray. Lord, I love you tonight, and we entrust the next few moments into your care. I pray that you move among us and speak clearly. Lord, would you help me and help your people? In your name I ask, amen. Does your worship of God have an on-off switch? The psalm which we just read was actually a song of worship that was written by David for the nation of Israel because the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had been returned to them. What's the significance of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord? The Ark was God's earthly presence with his people. I want you to catch that tonight. The Ark represented God's earthly presence with his people. The Ark represented Christ. The ark represented Jesus. You see, Israel could live a lifestyle of worship because God's presence was with them. And so as we look at this psalm, you notice throughout the 10 verses that there is a list of commands, and these commands were to be lived out in light of God's presence with them. And it would be the application of these commands that would foster a lifestyle of worship that would point the people of the world to God. Amen. Worship really is a means to an end. 
And worship in this case was to point the people of the world to God. Now, I want us to notice first a couple requirements of worship. There are two things that need to be in play, two things that must be true in order for worship to occur. God himself sets the requirements for worship. And so one of those requirements, the very first requirement of all, is the presence of Christ is required for worship to occur. If you notice in verse 1, there's the emphasis on the new song. The new song. The song we find in our passage, really all of these verses, we didn't read uh, the entire passage, but the song we find in our passage is being sung not just by anyone, but by people, listen, who have a relationship with the Lord. They're declaring a new song. The new song is declaring, uh, the, the new song is declaring and describing a new lifestyle that comes about, listen, by new life. This song is uh, uh, synonymous with a new theme in life. This new song. But many can fake this lifestyle, by f- but by faking it, it doesn't mean that you have the new life. You know, as we drive around, we see a lot of different messages on church signs. Some of them are corny. Some of them are shallow. But honestly, the, the, the most annoying thing I ever read on a church sign are the words, come worship with us. <laughs> and now I understand it's an invitation to the public to attend a service, but it gives the message that anyone can just join the body of Christ in worshiping him. But that's not true. The only candidates for worship are those who have been given new life by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says at the end of John 3.16, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, that's his presence, and in truth. That's his way, John 4.27. And so, when Christ enters in the ability to worship is on. When Christ enters in, the ability to worship is on. It's turned on, if you will. So what is it that God requires of saved people who want to attempt worshiping him? So we understand you have to be saved in order to worship. Christ has to be present in your life in order to worship. But what does God require of saved people to worship him? Holy living is required by God for the saved to worship him. And verse 1, the new lifestyle is put before us. In verse 3, it, it says, declare his glory. Well, if we're going to declare the glory of God, that implies pure messengers. In verse 9, we are called to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So there's a, a, a call to purity when it comes to worship. The psalmist is essentially, essentially submits that worship of God, a worship can only honor God if it is first done through a holy life. This isn't a well-meaning heart. This isn't a double-minded heart. This isn't excusing a careless heart. This is worship attempted by the Christian who has a clear conscience before God. You see, when we worship, 
We're declaring who God is. We are the very vessels through which the act of worship and praise of Almighty God flows. Does that have any importance to you? God is the glorious one, the righteous one, the holy one. So, I hope you understand tonight that first of all, only the saved can worship and only the pure should worship. But I want us to, to take our thoughts, whatever comes to your mind when you hear the word worship, whatever comes to your imagination, I want us to take that further than what you probably think when you hear the word worship. Let's, let's move beyond the context of, of corporate worship. I think that's what comes to our minds a lot. Let's move even beyond your own private worship with the Lord in your prayer closet. M move beyond that a little bit tonight. When many think of worship, we often associate it with what takes place during the church service, correct? Is that what came to your mind when you heard the word worship? Maybe you saw the choir in your imagination. Maybe you saw people bowing here on Sunday mornings when you hear the word worship. But let me ask you this. Think about it tonight. Does the presence of Christ depart from you when the church service is completed? Is worship of God only to occur during church services? Is there ever a time in your, in your Christian life where you are void of the presence of Christ? Is there ever a time where Christ just decides that he is no longer going to be with you? Not according to the Bible and certainly not according to this psalm. Psalm 96 commands not a moment of worship, not an hour of worship, not even a day of worship. We don't see that anywhere in this passage tonight, but Psalm 96 commands a lifestyle of worship, worship that goes beyond the front doors of this church building, beyond the doors of your prayer closet. So we, I'm so thankful for the emphasis that our pastor and our church places on worship. And so uh, the definition of worship is not foreign to us. Worship, it means to bow or lower myself. So what would the lifestyle of worship be? What would the definition of the lifestyle of worship be? Let me submit this definition to you. It is humbling my life. It is lowering my heart. So only Christ is seen, known, and heard by others in every aspect of my life. In every aspect of my life. Not just while I'm here with the family of God. Not just even within my own home. But in every aspect of my life. The lifestyle of worship is yielding myself to the Lord. Yielding myself to his authority so that Christ can be elevated. That's what worship is. And that's what it would look like in your daily life. Our passage, as we read through it, you notice the words world and earth. World and earth. Our passage emphasizes worship impacting the souls of the world. The lifestyle of worship is the means by which Christians can present Christ to the world. Have you ever thought about it like that? 
The lifestyle of worship is the means by which. It's a means to an end. And the end is presenting Christ to the world, to the earth. Understand that worship is not just a physical posture, although that is its primary definition. But it's also a mindset. We've heard a little bit about mindsets over the last couple weeks from Pastor Hardy, for which I'm so grateful. But this is a mindset we need to take on. And this is a state of mind. This is an attitude. This is a position of the heart that needs to go beyond church life. It's a mindset. It's a heart attitude. I want us to consider the lifestyle of John the Baptist for a moment. John the Baptist. I want us to ponder the words that he, that he gave in John chapter 3 and verse 30. A very popular verse, and I believe it gives a, such a beautiful definition of worship, and it needs to hit the big screens on Sunday mornings for a definition of worship. He says that he must increase, but I must decrease. That's just not a good statement. That's actually uh, an attitude coming out of the abundance of his heart. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. John was speaking in reference to Jesus Christ, saying Jesus must be seen, he must be known, and he must be heard. And I must lower and humble myself in order for that to be accomplished. In order for Christ to be elevated, in order for people to look at my life and actually see him and hear him and sense him, I've got to lower myself. I've got to humble my heart. I've got to change my mind about the way I look at my Christian life. John the Baptist made this statement because it was the attitude of his heart. It was his mindset as he went about his daily life. Why did this man have this mindset? Why should he have had this mindset? Think about it. Because Jesus Christ was present. He was present on earth, in their midst, fulfilling the will of the Father. Realize this about John the Baptist. If you were to ever do a study of his life, if you ever hear preaching on John the Baptist, never miss this about this man's life. That attention was brought to Christ. The world knew about Christ. Thus souls were brought to Christ because of the lifestyle of worship which flowed from John the Baptist's lifestyle. The world was introduced to Christ because his life was not about him. It wasn't about his desires. It was about Christ. And Psalm 96 commands three attitudes of worship to characterize the everyday life of the born-again, holy-living Christian. I want us to notice these quickly tonight. The three attitudes that should characterize our lives. Number one would be the attitude of praising the works of God's hands. Praising the works of God's hands. And then the second would be the attitude of giving what I have or giving God what I have. And then the third attitude would be the attitude of declaring the gospel of Christ. So praising, giving, 
and declaring. Praising, giving, and declaring. These three attitudes should characterize the daily lifestyle of every believer in Jesus Christ. So if we were to notice in verses 3, 4, 5, and 10, we would pick up that there's a command to have an attitude of praising the works of God's hands. We would understand that praise of God is a major element of worship. Praising God, it gets the attention of others on the results of God's handiwork, does it not? Think about a museum. In the museum of life, where there are billions of tourists, in the museum of life, Christians are the tour guides who exalt and elaborate on the works of God's hands. But who are the, the tourists? Who are the onlookers? Who, who, who are the billions of tourists? Notice verse, verse 3. The Bible says, declare his glory among the who, church? Heathen. Are you with me tonight? Declare his glory among who? Heathen. Good job. The heathen. Notice verse 10. Say among the who? And so the Bible clearly tells us that unbelievers are the tourists of the, of the museum of life. And so the Bible is commanding us that we are to praise God to unbelievers. Often when we think of praising the Lord, we think of it in a church setting. If somebody asks me for a prayer request or a praise, well, I'll give it. But the Bible doesn't call us to praise God necessarily among believers in this passage. The Bible calls us to declare his praises to unsaved people. And you might be wondering, why would I do that? They don't appreciate what I have to say. They, they don't know my God. Bingo. They don't know your God. But maybe if you start praising the Lord, they can maybe come to be introduced to who God is in the very least. We are to help them see that our God lives. Notice in verse 4, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared, notice, above all gods, all false gods. Notice verse 5, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord, he made the heavens. Listen, the unsaved you encounter on a daily basis in your life should know about who God is because of your faithfulness to naturally Praise the Lord. Do you conceal praise of God because of the feeling of awkwardness that swells up in your flesh? I've been there. Like every day I'm tempted to just not talk about what the Lord's done in my life just to the person I'm spending the next two hours with on my job. The lost can come to realize that their idols are not God when we talk to them about the Lord's faithfulness in our lives. This is commanded, church. They need to come to understand that their health is not God. Their wealth is not God. Their religion is not God. Their politicians are not God, and neither are their, are their philosophies God. Their relationships are not God. So catch this. If Christ is present with you, you are to point unbelievers to him by praising him for who he is and for what he has done because he's with you. The attitude of praising the Lord. Notice, secondly, the attitude of giving God what I have. 
Notice verse 7. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Verse 8. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Giving, surrendering, laying down what you have, making an offering, they all might be one of the greatest attitudes of worshiping the Lord because it so clearly depicts what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Giving your time, giving your abilities, giving your finances, giving your attention during preaching and not falling asleep. Giving your life as a living sacrifice. Giving all your tomorrows. Giving your future. Giving of these things into God's hands allows the Lord to use you in a way that will impact souls for eternity. Giving your time through the church will advance the kingdom of God. Giving your abilities through the church will advance the kingdom of God. Giving your finances through, through the church will advance the kingdom of God. Giving your life as a living sacrifice through the church will advance the kingdom of God. Giving your best on the job. Giving your attention to neighbors in need. Giving all puts Christ on display. Listen, if Christ is present with you, you can worship God with the attitude of giving so the attention of the unsaved is pointed to the one who can give them eternal life. So, church, are you, are you noticing a, a common theme here? When, what happens when we worship? What, a, what could occur if we took worship beyond these doors, beyond the private prayer closet of our home? Are, are you seeing what can take place? Are you beginning to catch on to something? Are you coming to see that worshiping God is a means to an end? Listen, the lifestyle of worship is the way to point the world to Christ. It's the way in which we put him on display. And so this naturally leads us to the third attitude given in Psalm 96. We have the attitude of praising the Lord. We have the attitude of giving God what I have. And then we have the attitude of declaring the gospel of Christ. Declaring the gospel of Christ is, in fact, an act of worship. The preparedness, the readiness to declare the gospel. Notice at the end of verse 2, it says, it commands us, show forth his salvation from day to day. Verse 3, declare his glory among the heathen. Notice verse 10, say something, preach something, share something among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. You know, we as independent Baptists, we tend to put soul winning into a box. Meaning, we have this mindset that we subconsciously think we can only give the gospel of Christ during facilitated times, like operation saturation. There, there are independent Baptists all over the country who will get upset if you don't show up to Saturday soul winning. Okay, fair enough. A lot of times those same people on, who will get mad about you not showing up, they never tell anybody about Christ throughout the week. But it, it's put into a box. Worship has an on-off switch in some of our lives, does it not? 
I'm 100% in favor of, uh, of the church facilitating opportunities to give the gospel. But if Christ is always present with you, your efforts to articulate the gospel of Christ to the lost is not to be confined to a scheduled event. N no way. You remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples in Matthew 28 uh, when he was commissioning, commissioning them? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, uh, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded thee, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He's with us. He's present with us. The, the whole purpose we are to live a lifestyle of worship is so we have a life that supports the message of the gospel of Christ. It should not only be our mouths that declare uh, the gospel of Christ. It ought to be every aspect of our lives. In other words, your Christian testimony is an act of worship. The lifestyle of worship leads the lost to believe that your God lives. He's real. He rules and he reigns in your life. The lifestyle of worship builds a bridge with the people you interact with on a daily basis. So often, and I'm not entirely against this, but so often we think, you know, we just go up to Joe Schmo and just ask him, hey, do you know for sure if you were to die today, your sin's forgiven, you go to heaven when you die? You know, what helps with that is if a lot of those people see that our God lives in our lives, that he's real. And so many of us have opportunity where you work each day, where you spend most of your time to be declaring and to be worshiping the Lord before the people you see in each and every day. When we begin to view our responsibility with the gospel of Christ as an act of worship, it will become a part of our daily lives. Just as Christ is part of our daily lives. If, if you believe that Christ is part of your daily life, we ought to be worshiping him nonstop. No, this does not mean that you need to fall prostrate on your face in the break room, okay? This does not mean that all you can ever say and sing are praises to the Lord. But when you have opportunity, you ought to acknowledge the Lord. When you have opportunity, you ought to give. When you have opportunity, you ought to declare the gospel Amen. because it's an act of worship. So let me ask you, or let me answer the question from the beginning. Your worship of God is not to have an on-off switch. God didn't put it there. When the Lord Jesus Christ stepped into your life, worship came on, he quickened you. He brought you to life. And just as the nation of Israel could worship in this song because of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which represented the presence of Christ with them, so we are to continue to shed light on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a rule for flying our American flag is that so long as it is present on the flagpole, it must always be illuminated. Never is it to be left flying in the cover of darkness. If you should leave an American flag flying through the night, it is law 
that you need to have a spotlight shining on it. You know, many of us, and we know, we see, we drive by American flags uh, flying in the darkness. It might bother us, might annoy, annoy us. Maybe some of you didn't even know that law. But many of us do this to Jesus. Glorifying Jesus does not begin and end at the church doors. It doesn't, but for some of you, it does. For some of us, it begins and ends in the prayer closet. Jesus is to never go unworshipped. Jesus is never to go um, um, not illuminated. If he is constantly with you, he is constantly worthy to receive all glory, honor, and worship. Your lifestyle of worshiping Christ is a means by which the people you encounter daily can have an encounter with Christ. Let me say that again because that's the message. Your lifestyle of worshiping Christ is the means by which the people you encounter daily can have an encounter with Christ. Who has encountered Christ because of you? Who has encountered Christ because of you? And I'm not even necessarily talking about you sat down and you went through a bunch of verses with them and showed them their need for Christ, which is great. I'm just talking about who has heard of the faithfulness of God in your life? Who have you given extra time to? Where are you giving in the church that declares that Christ is with you? Who has encountered Christ because of you? Listen, Christ must increase and we must decrease. Praise the Lord to unbelievers so they can see that their idols are dead and Christ is alive. Quit getting upset with what you see on the news if you're not doing anything about it spiritually. Give to the Lord so unbelievers can see that there is purpose to life in Christ. If your life shows forth that God has given you purpose, you're showing others that there is purpose in life in Christ. And declare the gospel so unbelievers can come to Christ, listen, and worship him too. How can we win the world to Christ? Worship. But it has to go beyond here. When people step into Canaan Baptist Church on a Sunday morning, they see that we reverence and respect and we, we fear God and we believe God, and that is awesome. I wish more church would do this. But it needs to go from here to there, practically speaking, in your lifestyle. Let's stand for prayer.